0: Got a good name, my mother used to tell me. I didn't understand as a child. Could have been reputationally, I suppose, but no. And a good address, my aunt would add. John MacFarlane Lisburn. Now there's a clue. What can you deduce from just a name and an address? I worked with people in nineteen eighties Belfast who didn't have a good name in any sense, literally or reputationally working class men, uneducated, unskilled, who live from hand to mouth on weekly wages earned as drivers. And if I believe the caricature in our popular culture, unworthy of much esteem, they collect and deliver packages to every street in our city, usually moving anonymously among us, but you can't miss them if you're looking. I've forgotten most of them as individuals, but one I haven't forgotten was called Gerard Francis Finnegan, or Driver Number One, as he called himself when I encountered him for the first time on the floor of our warehouse, arguing, or asserting himself rather, over Driver Number Two. A small, dark, intense, and animated man, he was practically dancing around Driver Number Two, wagging his finger, gesticulating, remonstrating, the scene was comically memorable because driver number two was literally twice his size, a huge man, big crop of sandy hair and a blonde moustache, tall and taciturn, even on a good day, speechlessly bemused today, looking awkward. The contrast couldn't have been greater. Jerry was small, dark. He said he had an Italian granddad and very, very animated, very verbal. I don't even remember driver number two's name or the sound of his voice. It's lost in time. He was quietly professional, as they say. If there's such a thing as being unquietly professional, because if there is, then that was Jerry, too loquacious by half, or to use the Belfast vernacular, a slobber. There is no dictionary definition, but an infinite number of opinions, no opportunity, to express them must be missed. Cheeky, argumentative, annoying on a bad day, childish, comic, politically incorrect. And, of course, with him, his long-suffering night, or wife, his (laughs) long-suffering wife, excuse me. (laughs) A cold beer and a hot meal on the table every night when I get through the door, he boasts. He's a familiar stereotype in our culture. Think Homer Simpson, or numerous other from adverts on TV. The dumb, comic, male, a hero in his own imagination, but nowhere else. Though it's not the whole story. he scourged to the phone, ashen-faced, when she leaves a message to call him. We mock him. To be clear, he was professional, and he was literally driver number one, albeit it was simply an employee number. A chronological description, not a title. Our city was a very dangerous place back then. One of the ugliest aspects of our conflict was the murder of Catholic men who ventured into Protestant areas to work. Taxi drivers, construction workers, delivery drivers, and our men, drivers in brightly liveried vans designed to draw your eye in the same place, same time, every day, high profile, vulnerable, easy targets. Fortunately, we were a mixed employed, and we were mixed workers, we employed from every part of the city, and we got on, and in every sense, with work and with each other, and that's maybe why I went wrong one day. An innocent mistake, just a name. The phone was blazing in the office and I picked it up to help. Where's Geordie, a voice said, our driver, we're waiting for a collection here, and we want to close, go home. I recognized the voice, Tommy, from All You Said. Geordie, I said, you mean Jerry? He'll be with you in a bit, he's on his way. A long silence. John, maybe Jerry's Geordie when he's collecting on the Sandy Row. The voice said, he knows why, and so do I. And I've made a mistake. He, Jerry, is the sort of guy everyone would be on first-name terms with when he collects parcels, same place, every day, in his van, his uniform. You couldn't miss him. A difficult conversation when I advise him. Jesus, John, you're going to get me killed. Why don't you just go and join the Orange Order? You should know. Come on, Jerry. I made a mistake. You never told me you were masquerading as Geordie on the sandy road. You could have told me. Then his demeanour changes, shoulders slump. defiance and anger gone. Okay, he says, it's her. Get another job, go on the dole, we'll survive, I don't want to be a widow. It's no life, worrying, listening to the news reports, wondering if you'll come through the door. Hits me like a slap. So this is it, the cold beer and the hot meal. She's glad to see him home. On the screen of the phone. It's not the hen packed husband. Some domestic trivia. It's a news report, another shooting. It isn't me, I'm okay. He's checking in. I they were laughing at me last week all right in the shop on Sandy Row. Some kids threw fireworks, bang, bang, bang. What's wrong with you? You think you'd been shot? He thought he was. Humiliated, rolling on the floor. Neither of us laugh. There are no medals or murals or tributes to the men who went to work. In glamorous jobs, gambled their lives, and the prize, 50 quid a day. And then for him, a hot meal on the table and a cold beer. That was a far better tribute and from a better source, in my opinion, the one who really knows. No wonder it means so much to him. I did nearly say in that conversation, Jerry, you're the embodiment of the Protestant work ethic. Probably just as well I didn't. I kept that observation to myself under the circumstances. Months pass, but not many. It's a blur now. Not long though, until my relief, until, until to my relief, Jerry leaves a new job in a bar. He survives my mistake and no more guilty nights. Though it still chose to think what might have been through my mistake. About 10 years later, And we all moved on, the company, me, Jerry, and Northern Ireland itself is about to move on to a better place in the 1990s. And soon these days will be history, but not quite yet. I'd lost contact with him and with all the others from that era, just a memory. We survived, he survived my blunder. So I'm sitting in the living room, listening to my wife, during noting her day. I'm distracted by the television news report on our television over her shoulder. I've already heard the crucial details on the radio of the latest atrocity. A taxi driver murdered on the edge of town. Cruel, even by our pitiless standards. The killers posed as furs for the taxi, but crucially were picked up on the falls itself. The taxi driver thought he was in safe territory. Tricked, then hijacked, then murdered on the edge of town. His body dumped and his taxi used to ferry the killers to their own safe space. His wife is talking to the camera, just about keeping it together. Her face is etched with exhaustion and pain. He was a good man, trying to make a living for his family. She'd begged him to give it up. Not involved, hadn't an enemy in the world. Horror enough, but what caught my attention wasn't her words, but the unconstrained grief of the child in her arms. Why did they kill my daddy? I heard. It's too much. I reach for the remote. I can't face this now. In the millisecond, before I switch off the final scene of the report, the victim's face fills the screen. Unmistakable, even after all these years, exactly as it was, a big crop of sandy hair and a blonde moustache. Driver number two. Never did remember his name. I hear his wife's words echoing in my head. He was a gentle giant, a quad man. Just wanted to work and provide for his kids. Aye, that was him.